And so the IRA decided to go after Thatcher and try to assassinate the Iron Lady and wipe out her entire government. Partly, partly it was personal. I mean, for them, it was actually very personal. Because, and so the IRA, to try to kind of gain the political initiative and set the agenda, they felt that, you know, one bomb in London was worth, in terms of, you know, public relations and, and public impact, was worth 100 bombs in Belfast. In then she left the bathroom and was sitting in an armchair in, these, in her suite when the actual detonation happened and this avalanche came right down. And so she was saved, in a sense, by having, having just left the bathroom by a fluke of just two minutes of timing. Thank you very much for joining me, Rory. Um, I, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, can, can you do us a do us a bit of a favor? Can, can you give us an idea a little about your background and about your latest book, uh, Killing Thatcher? So I'm a journalist. I've been um, with the Guardian, um, the British Guardian newspaper, for most of my career, um, and most of that time I've been a foreign correspondent, um, reporting from. Uh, the Mediterranean, Africa, uh, Latin America, and the United States. But they sent me back as uh, they appointed me Ireland correspondent in 2018, which was quite a strange appointment for me because it was a homecoming. I'm, I'm from Dublin originally. And so I found myself back here, um, you know, reporting on Ireland for the first time uh, in my professional life in the south of Ireland. And, you know, while here, I kind of stumbled across this story of the Brighton bombing. Um, which was kind of, in a sense, hiding in plain sight, a very familiar story for people, you know, who grew up in the 1980s in Ireland and England. And, you know, it was, in the, the, it was while I was doing the day job, you know, I, I, I came across the fact that the man convicted of the planting the bomb, Patrick McGee, had uh, written a memoir called Where Grieving Begins. This was about three years ago, four years ago. And I, in interview, I was interviewing him for The Guardian to do an article about it. And in preparing for that interview with him, I thinking this would just be one article, but I started reading around the Brighton bombing, the um, the IRA attack. And I just realized that the, there's so much there that I'd never heard of. You know, I, I thought I kind of knew it. It was just such a, uh, a well-known event. And this thing's jumped out at me. It's all the stuff that I, I hadn't known, or if I had never known it, I'd, I'd forgotten it. And it struck me as this is an amazing and largely untold story. And so that's I thought, well, to do justice to it, I couldn't I couldn't do it in one article. It had to be it had to be a book. OK, very good. Yeah, very interesting. Um, I was going to ask you, um, can you just for the listeners, for, for anyone who might know, can you provide maybe a little bit of a context um, for the, the bombing itself, which happened in 84? So the troubles were were well underway. Um, uh, at that stage, I think Margaret Thatcher um, had already developed a kind of a, uh, like a particularly kind of adversarial relationship with the IRA, um, maybe hence their their enthusiasm to, to get her. C can you provide like a tiny bit of a context um, for, uh, for, for kind of when, sure. when, the, when the bombing took place? Sure. So by 1984, the, the Troubles, um, which is that strange euphemism we you know used to describe the the conflict in Northern Ireland had been underway for 15 years and about 2,000 people had died it was a grim bloody stalemate by then it was clear that the IRA was not going to be able to push the Brits as they would put it into the sea um, but also it was equally clear that the the British security forces were not going to win a kind of a military victory against the IRA so we had this really um, a grim stalemate 
And so the IRA decided to go after Thatcher and try to assassinate the Iron Lady and wipe out her entire government. Partly, partly it was personal. I mean, for them, it was actually very personal because they blamed Thatcher for the fact that in 1981, 10 Republican prisoners starved themselves to death on hunger strike in the Mays prison in Belfast, seeking political status. And Thatcher had refused to bend on this point. And so, you know, they became martyrs and her and she became a demon, really, in, 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 in Irish Republican circles. And so there's a sense of a desire for revenge. Also, by assassinating the prime minister, that would have completely scramble up the strategic calculus of the troubles. I mean, it could open up new possibilities of, you know, you know, firstly, the British might have a huge kind of backlash against the IRA and 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 so on. But then that somehow that this could, though, the IRA could kind of feed off of this. And so it was a bit of a, in some ways, a Hail Mary pass as well. Like they thought maybe this could uh, just change things and break the stalemate. I see. Okay, very good. Um to my to my understanding um m- most of the activities of the IRA kind of at least in the you know in the 70s and, and kind of up until then um most of them ha- had been, had taken place in in Northern Ireland in in kind of in Belfast in particular um and to my knowledge there there hadn't been many attempts on um um attempts on like would say like British le- leadership like like high level politicians and and so on um had there been uh, had there been any kind of real uh, real plans or like close attempts on um, on British political figures up until now or up until then excuse me in many ways this was a complete departure for the IRA in terms of the ambition uh, and scale of the operation because up until 1984 there had been attacks on political figures uh, the in fact the arrival Republican group, the Irish National Liberation Army, the INLA, had assassinated Airy Neve, a British MP and a close ally of Margaret Thatcher, in 1979, just before she became prime minister. They planted a car bomb, uh, which killed him. Um, it blew up in the car park of the House of Commons. That was then followed. Some people think the IRA felt somewhat upstaged by the fact that this kind of smaller sister Republican organization had kind of had scored this such a, a high profile hit. So the IRA later the summer of 1979, they assassinated Lord Louis Mountbatten in off the coast of, of County Sligo with members of his family. And that was a seminal event in that it just showed the the ruthlessness and the capacity of the IRA that they could take out such a VIP figure. I mean, he was so famous um, across the world, but he was also a soft target. I mean, he was at that time. I mean, Mountbatten was was long retired, and he was sort of a cobwebby ornament of the royal family. And he was on just on holiday, and he wasn't especially well guarded at all. So, it in a sense, he was a, a sitting duck. Whereas going after a sitting prime minister, and not only sitting prime minister, but Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady herself was a complete step up in terms of the ambition and the, the the implications of of the attack because what they were hoping to do was not just kill her but wipe out half of her government along with her and decapitate the, the government this had not been tried by anyone in in british history since guy fawkes 
that was the gunpowder plot of 1605. Um, that bomb didn't even go off. And yet to this day, I mean, that attempt to, to blow up the House of Parliament um, is vividly remembered by, you know, or, or recalled by um, by British schoolchildren. So what the IRA were trying with the, with the Brighton plot was uh, a complete departure. And uh, yes, for in, in British history and for the IRA themselves. Uh, very good. Can, can, can you tell us? Uh, can you tell us a little about um, uh, a subdivision within the IRA at the time called the England Squad? I, I believe it was called. Because, um, because, like, like I said, the, the majority of um, of activities had taken place like in, in the north to, to actually bring the, the fight over to England. Um, a lot, a lot more risky, but 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 the I say the reward for the IRA um, was was a lot more too because it's, it's like higher level target. C- can you tell us a little bit about, about the the so called England squad? Yeah, that's right. The, I mean, the vast majority of the violence related to the troubles happened within the six counties within Northern Ireland um, in terms of car bombing shootings. Um, but there was within the IRA a well a desire to export the war across the water, across the Irish Sea to England, because it was felt that by 1984, the English public was quite jaded with the troubles. It was kind of like oh, familiar news. It was complex, it was boring. And they people just kind of were trying to tune it out. And so the IRA, to try to kind of gain the political initiative and set the agenda, they felt that, you know, one bomb in London was worth, in terms of, you know, public relations and and public impact, was worth 100 bombs in Belfast, in Northern Ireland. So it was very important for the IRA to be able to to export the conflict to to England and to bring it home to, to English people that the IRA was not going away. And so for this, they set up a small... Uh, department within the IRA called the England Department. And this was extremely secret, probably the most secret of all of their, their units. Many other IRA members, ordinary IRA members, were, you know, wouldn't have known who those members were. They wouldn't have known who was in it. And even to get into it was quite difficult. And so, and it was small, and it was mostly based in Dublin. It was a handful of kind of commanders, and they would send over teams of bombers, um, and they'd have to set up supply lines as well. And these people would then go, would blend into the population in England. Because for them, it's like going operating behind enemy lines. They didn't have, unlike, say, in West Belfast or parts of Northern Ireland, like a, a, a somewhat sympathetic population in which they could be the fish in the, you know, the sea in which the, the IRA fish could swim, to use a, a Mao analogy. And so in England, they had to be, had to, it was much harder for them to operate there. And, and so the stakes were higher. And that was why for the Brighton plot, in the end, the I mean, the, there's a whole there were dozens of people involved in the supply lines, in the preparation and the reconnaissance. And they, they they the IRA spent years, I mean, from 1981 up until 19, assuming from 1982 until 1984, preparing this attack. And the last link in the chain was Patrick McGee. He was the one who was chosen to check into the hotel posing as an Englishman. And this was in some sense, it's easier said than done because many IRA volunteers had never been outside of their kind of their milieu. They're either West Belfast or East Tyrone. And they were, you know, they, they weren't comfortable or familiar operating outside of those kind of narrow comfort zones. Patrick McGee was different. He was from West Belfast. And like so many other IRA members, he was a working class Catholic. But he, his family, when he was a boy, 
had moved to England for several years. And so he grew up, he acquired an English accent. He was completely familiar with England. I mean, he, he'd, he'd worked in London. He got into trouble in London, ran about with the, um, with kind of a gang for a while. And, but he knew it and he could, he could adopt the accent. And so what they wanted to do was send over an operator who, who could check into the hotel, not arouse any suspicions by posing as, as a regular Englishman. And, and, there, and once successfully doing so, he could then turn the hotel room into a, a bomb workshop and assemble and plant, conceal a bomb that would be a time bomb that was timed to detonate three weeks later to coincide with the Conservative Party conference. Wow, you you, you said that there was um, there was about three years worth of worth of planning went into this one attack. Um, okay, I, I I can see how um, you you would need like years of planning to 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 actually to do like a bomb and so on, but to know three weeks in advance. Um, that she's going to be at a particular hotel and even like a particular side of the of the hotel was there some kind of uh i don't know kind of kind of intel or something that uh that that allowed the ira to 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 put in in a place that ended up very nearly doing the job uh no they didn't need any special intel um because this was the one there are two times when they tried were looking at thatcher's itinerary i mean they they didn't have the IRA did not have a mole inside Downing Street or someone who's kind of feeding them, um, you know, intel on her on her movements. And so all they knew is that the two places where you could know in advance where she would be. One was on election night. Uh, at some point, she'd be in her own constituency and Finchley at the at the count, you know, for to, to when they announced the the votes. And the other time would be every year the Conservative Party has a conference. Um, it's a big convention. Uh, where the kind of the party grassroots get to mingle for several days with um, with with their elected uh, representatives and it's in government with ministers and it's kind of a backslapping affair and where um, then the government gets a platform to to say, lay out their agenda of what they're planning to do for the next for the following year and it's at that time it alternated and um, the venue each year would either be Brighton on the south coast of England on the Channel coast or be in Blackpool on the other um over on the Irish Sea. Um, and then when it was in Brighton, the Tory party, the hierarchy, would stay in the Grand Hotel, which had the convenience of being right beside the convention center. And it was on the promenade. And so the IRA scouts, they, you know, there's no mystery about this because it was you know in the newspapers every day it'd be kind of covered each year. And so the IRA sent some scouts in 1982 for the Tory party conference in Brighton that year. And then again, in 1983, in Blackpool, you had um, IRA people kind of monitoring it. And they were studying like the police protocols, like, well, how does this work? You know, for, you know firstly, where does Thatcher stay? Uh, what are the police doing? Where are they, where they, where they stationed? And where, what, what's, what's her kind of her general routine during these three or four days that she would be there? So they had a pretty good idea of, um, of what to expect in terms of the, choreog the choreography. And so they chose... Um, to time the bomb for just before three o'clock in the morning during the uh, for the last night of the Tory party conference think calculating that she would certainly be in her room at three in the morning because during the daytime she's often out at you know the different events and so on but at three in the morning where else would she be except in her room and they had um in some ways it was a very precise attack in other ways it was a horrendously blunt attack i mean they had they were using the vcr recorder recording they cannibalize vcrs to get the timers and that way they could kind of that was a timer in a time bomb 
and it could tick down to the exact second or minute that they they chose um in this case to, for it to go three weeks in, in, into the future and this protected the, the bomb planter i mean he could plant the bomb three weeks early when there's no police around no security and then as long as he's concealed the bomb successfully he can then just disappear nobody knows who the bomber is and then three weeks later you know it counts down pulses down to the final second and boom which is what happened and there's also though a very blunt instrument because they're blowing up a hotel filled with sleeping civilians i mean their hope was that an avalanche would come down and kill margaret thatcher and i can elaborate on the actual mechanics of the bomb and the destruction if you like um, but really, it was, you know, they had no clue exactly how it was the bomb, who it was going to, who it was going to kill. I mean, they, they targeted as much as they could so that it would hopefully, they, for their purposes, kill or, or hurt Thatcher. But they, they, they couldn't and didn't know exactly, you know, you know who the bomb was going to, uh, to kill and maim. I see. I see. Um, okay. Um, it, it's funny. Uh, I think about... Maybe a month and a half ago, or a couple of weeks ago, um, the a, a famous figure in the among the troubles named uh, Scapatici, who was better known as Steak Knife, um, for anyone who doesn't know, was a um, was basically a mole in the IRA, but was like a, a unbelievably successful. He was he was the head of security. It was actually his job to find rats, and he was a rat. Um, so I mean, uh, given given like the amount of. Uh, moles and rats that that the british intelligence had had in the ira and um, what was there any um was there any indication to the british intelligence that there was a bomb coming there was an attack on margaret thatcher coming um any rumblings at all that they knew about not really is the answer that scabatici i think was already you know feeding the british intelligence by then but the brighton operation because it was within the england department so this kind of smaller part of the ira and the operations kept very, very tight, to, to use that terminology, because, you know, they were aware of leaks and informers. And so they decided to kind of keep minimize the amount of people who knew about it. Um, and so there was very little kind of intelligence chatter, if you like, because, for, for example, the IRA had considered the top brass to alert the volunteers just before the attack to say, hey, lads, there's something big about to happen. You should everybody lie low because this could well incite a huge British backlash, you know, the mass arrests, etc. So lie low. They thought about doing that, sending out that warning, and then they decided not to in case it would alert the British to the fact that something big was about to happen. So they took the IRA took that that risk to actually to kind of to, to kind of keep the information very um very exclusive. Um there was a, a few months before the bombing an indication the Thatcher security heard that there might be some sort of attack or, or she may be targeted, but they had no clue where, when, or how. And so they thought the likeliest target would have been on her route from number 10 Downing Street to Westminster, where she would shuttle, you know, almost every day. Um, it's just, I don't know, about half a mile. And so they were started, they checked the drains and 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 the routes, but they found nothing. So come October 1984. There, there was nothing. There was no warning um, of any, or no detail of any warning of of an attack. Um, so, in a sense, the intelligence agencies were were caught with their pants down. I see. I see. Yeah, it, it sounded um, it sounded very secretive, right? Um, uh, just briefly, can you can you talk us through a little bit of how close they actually came? Because um, after after reading a, a portion of the book, it's it, it's clear that they came. 
they came like insanely close. She was she was unbelievably lucky, you know. Yes, because the you know in a sense the genius of the, of the bomb, if to use that term, was that the bomb itself, in a way, wasn't really the weapon. I mean, the bomb was planted on the on the sixth floor, and Margaret Thatcher's suite in the Napoleon suite was on the first floor. Now the bomb, and it's, the bomb itself wasn't huge. I mean, it was about, um, I mean, some between thirty or hundred pounds of explosives, but it wasn't. Um, what it did when it detonated, it obliterated the immediate rooms around it on the sixth floor. But what the real damage it did is that it then exploded upwards up and up to the eighth floor where the roof was, punctured a hole through the roof, and there it toppled a huge Victorian chimney stack five tons of masonry which then kind of tumbled down through the heart of the hotel and it was like the way i described it as like a, a homicidal guillotine or like a lift shaft just going down and taking out one room after another bang 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 and that was the weapon in a sense that of the hotel itself was uh became the the the, the instrument of of destruction and where it fell was it it just swiped um Martha Thatcher's suite and it actually quite badly damaged the bathroom uh where and she had just she was still awake being a workaholic she was still working at, at three o'clock in the morning and she had just used the bathroom two minutes before detonation um but then she left the bathroom and was sitting in an armchair in these in her suite when the actual detonation happened and this avalanche came right down and so she was saved in a sense by having having just left the bathroom by a fluke of just two minutes of timing but even then, even sitting in her armchair, she might have that could have she could have died right there because the where it actually began to fall at the, the the this you know the chimney stack at one point was directly above her suite, but for reasons of geometry and physics, the the avalanche kind of swerved somewhat, and so instead of taking out the rooms that would have led and directly to her, it actually swerved slightly and 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 took out all the room, adjacent rooms kind of going down and the next thing. And that's what saved her. It was a complete fluke. Yeah, well, it was it was so close. I, I heard that even if she was standing, if she'd been standing near the bathroom, the shrapnel and stuff coming coming off, it would have would have ripped her to shreds. And um, just 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 one last uh, one last thing before we go. Um, one of the one of the more infamous kind of things to, to come out of this bombing was the statement that the IRA put out uh, the next day. It, it famously contained the phrase, um, today we were unlucky, um, but you need to be lucky always. We we only need to be lucky once. C can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, so it was a very kind of taunting phrase. Um, and it's... Um, it, was a, it was a warning, you know, that, you know, we're going to come after you again. And it succeeded in that, I mean, she, Margaret Thatcher herself, uh, believed that they would try again and that at some point she thought they well, they may well get her. And she confided this to friends privately that, you know, she expected that they may well uh, get her in the future. And so subsequent to, to the attack, although she's very, you know, in public, I mean, she's very brave, very defiant um, and unshaken by the attack. But in private, she was, much, you know, she was a human being and she did... It did affect her in some ways. I mean, for example, after the attack, she's took to having a little torch in her handbag so that if ever she was in a place where, you know, there's a bombing and the lights went out, she at least would have a torch, you know. Uh, also, she preferred then to have a, 
when she was sleeping and had the door slightly ajar again in case you had to try and make a getaway or whatever so it, it, it affected her um in that way i mean i was told about that the phrasing of that um of that um of that you know about being lucky that um momar gaddafi the libyan dictator at that time I mean, the ira were trying to re regenerate links with him and to get you know weapons and and supplies now he gaddafi was extremely impressed by the by the brighton attack i mean he had his own reasons to to resent thatcher who was an ally of ronald reagan so he you know was um extremely hostile to thatcher and so he you know the ira was in a sense was for them it was like their calling card look what we can do you know we can reach your enemies um you know for our own reasons but he Gaddafi, he didn't like the. I was told the 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 use of this. The, the 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 we only need to be lucky once. Apparently, he took umbrage at this. He thought it trivialized what was a great historic blow against colonialism, um, and so he complained to an IRA envoy in, in Tripoli that yeah, this is I don't know like tacky. I, you know, he just wasn't into it. Um, uh, that said, he 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 kind of forgave. The, the terminology and he subsequently did give send uh, enough uh, explosives uh, to the IRA to, to make a thousand Brightons um, potentially. So, and there's this whole, in the book, I go into this whole, a whole other kind of substrata of stories related to that all fit into the plot, uh, just about that claim, you know, about, about the, the being lucky only once. Um, so I hope two people do read it and they'll see, I don't know, you know, give too much away now, but it's you know it spins off in so many in so many different directions. Um, very good. Um, I I think I'll let you go. Um, thank you very much for joining me. Um, and telling us about the book. Um, very very interesting uh, insights into it. Um, like I said, I'm I'm doing the book on um, Audible uh, at the moment, so I I'd recommend it to anyone. Very well put together. Um, can you just remind us uh, what it's called and where and where you can get it? In the United States, the title is "There Will Be Fire." Uh, in the in the UK, it's called "Killing Thatcher," and yeah, all good bookshops. Amazon um, is published uh, by Harper Collins, and in the in the US by uh, also by a Random House. So you can anyway Google it, and and, and you can find. Um, fantastic, and, and I'll put the link. Um, if anyone's watching on YouTube or or, or on podcast, I'll I'll put, I'll put the link below. Um, again, Rory, th thanks very much for joining me. I, I appreciate it. And, and well done on the book. I, I hope it sells very well because it, it deserves it. It's excellent. No, I've enjoyed this. Thanks, John. If you're interested, appreciate it.